This is a case from the <coughs> Shoyoroku, Linji's true person. The introduction. Taking a thief for one's son, taking the servant for the master. Can a broken wooden ladle be your ancestor's skull? A donkey saddle rim is not your father's jawbone either. When breaking earth, separating reeds, how do you discern the master? The main case. Dinji said to the assembly, there is a true person of no rank always going out and in through the portals of your face. Beginners who have not yet witnessed it, look, look. Then the monk came forward and said, what is the true person of no rank? Linji got down from the seat, grabbed him and said, speak, speak. The monk hesitated. So Linji pushed him away and said, the true person of no rank, what a piece of dry crap he is. The verse. Delusion and enlightenment are opposite. Suddenly communicated with simplicity. Spring opens the hundred flowers in one puff. Power pulls back nine bulls in one yank. It's hopeless. The mud and sand cannot be cleared away, clearly blocking off the eye of the sweet spring. If suddenly it burst forth, it would freely flow. So this case brings up a famous saying of Master Linji, Rinzai in Japanese, who's the founder of the Rinzai school, the other school that exists, or the two school of Zen that still, that survive, of the five houses of Zen, Rinzai being one of them, and uh, Soto is the other. And if you were at Daibosatsu Monastery, you you may remember that in the room that we do Dokusan, the beautiful room there, there is a scroll right by the door with the Japanese kanji of the true person of no rank. So very famous saying also uh, captures beautifully Linji's realization and teachings. Also points directly to the Buddha's realization. Very simple, profound way. A true person of no rank. A true person. So what, what are we doing here? What is this about? Right? We, there's a lot that we do. Right? We maintain a monthly event whether it's a Zazenkai or Sishin. Twice a year we hold three months training periods, engage in liturgy regularly, a koan study, take Jukai, practice Zazen daily. There's a lot going on, but the question is, do we not to work with all this in a way that is conducive in a way that is creating an opening? Do we understand how to work with it or do we create something of it, of the practice? You know, we have, we have to understand that the tendency that we have is to create standards on our own rather than actually allow a practice, a spiritual practice, to penetrate what it needs to penetrate. We create standards on our own because we are afraid to face it. 
we actually are afraid of the freedom we are here to explore. It's kind of erroneous because we are here to actually break free, but we also come with this intense fear of being free. So we create standards. I think it's important to be clear and blunt and to say that this is not a path of self-improvement. And we're not doing all this to, to tweak some things we may not like about ourselves. In fact, we're here to abandon all such ideas. <coughs> and if it, if it is what we're looking for by coming here, I think we should just head to the nearest bookstore and go directly to the self-help section. There's plenty there that will talk about tweaking and changing and modifying so we can be more comfortable. So we can th work things out of the system. There are plenty of books written by the self and for the self. And while, while there, is, or there may be a sense of Oh yeah, this is good. This is a good idea. I, if I do that, I will <coughs> feel better. I will be more free. I will be a better me. Right? Although there is all that and there is a, a, some kind of a thought or sense of freedom. It can actually strengthen what we're here to loosen up. And so when we, when we look at Ango, three months training period, we have to remember that. We have to remember that we have a strong tendency to help the self, to modify the self, to create a better version of that. Which is not wrong, it's just something to notice and then find ways to work with it. So working with Ango, or working with Ango commitments, has to be done in this way. So we are working on different things, individually and collectively, but we do all that so we can see through the fallacy, not so we can strengthen the fallacy. <coughs> And I'm saying that because I hear and I read those tendencies, or how those tendencies manifest. Sometimes I read it directly in what we write, we as a Sangha, and sometimes it's between the words. It's kind of, yeah, but this is really what I want to do. So watch out. Or worry about it, but watch out. Watch out because I don't think we even realize the degree to which we are vested in the belief that there is a self which is either acting upon the world or is being acted upon by the world. It's interlaced through thoughts, emotions, manifest through our words and actions. Sometimes overtly, but mostly it shows up in subtle ways throughout the day. Because it is interlaced on a very deep level. And, you know, it shows up a lot, actually often, it's just that we are so used to it. We're so used to being this way, we're so used to thinking and speaking in this way that we don't even see it, we don't even pay attention. 
Right? That goes along with tweaking things, right? We want to tweak things because deep down we're terrified of actually breaking free of it or actually seeing that it is not real. So we think, well, I'll just tweak it a little bit and that will be enough. That will give me enough freedom. So I don't really have to give up all the stuff I really love, whether it's my thoughts or the stuff that I have. You know, and it's operating in the background in such a way that we're so vested in it, if it will not be operating in the background, it would feel as if we are missing a limb. As if somebody cut off an arm, a leg. So there is that too. Which, yeah, it makes the practice more challenging. Right? You know, we, it may be easy to work with what we see, but how do we work with what we can't see? With what is so deep in us and is so controlling our, our behavior. How do we work with that? We pay attention, we look, we recognize what we can recognize at any given moment, and at the same time, we know, we are aware of the fact that there's also lots that I am not recognizing right now. And it will, with time, be revealed. That's why Dogen said, if you practice for three years, you manifest what you have realized in those three years. You practice one day, you manifest what you realize in one day. You practice for 40 years, you <coughs> manifest that. Which means we shouldn't worry about it. Know that things are going to be more and more revealed, not in the way we want them to be revealed, but in the way we think they will be revealed. But things do open up. You know, we, we speak of, of non-duality. We chant. <clears throat> we chant now a return to oneness. Yet our entire lives are based on duality. On, I am here and the world is over there. And I am acting on it or it is acting on me. And I'm responding to it. It is responding to what I want. It is giving me a hard time. Or it is going the way I want it to go. Right? This is, those are the dialogues we have with ourselves, the inner dialogues, the mental dialogues we create and, and, and keep having with ourselves, which maintain a sense of duality and gaps. So we chant, now I return to oneness. But what does it mean? Does it mean that now, while I sit, I will practice oneness, and then when the bell rings, I go back to duality? Or is it another way for us to be reminded of oneness that's always there, of the truth that's always there, that's always available? Now I take the time to recognize what's always there. Maybe that would be better than chanting now return to oneness. Now I am intentionally taking the time to see beyond what I think. To look directly at the truth. And think about the gaps. I mean, you know, I, we talk about the gaps that we create, the gaps that we, or the duality. I mean, look at just the simple act of opening the eyes in the morning. 
Right? There may be a brief experience of a brand new day, just as it is. Brief experience, but almost simultaneously arising, there are the thoughts, feelings, and physical sensations commenting about the experience of a brand new day. But only commenting, right? It's also strengthening the idea of being the one who is waking up, the one who is experiencing that day, and the one who may like it or not like it. The one who has a lot to say about the experience. Almost at the same time that we open our eyes, the second we open our eyes, there is the brand new day and there I am. Meeting it, commenting on it, interacting with it. But am I interacting with the brand new day or am I interacting with yesterday? Who am I interacting with? What are these conversations about? Where's the attention at that moment? Because right? instead of meeting and engaging with the day, we actually meet and engage with ourselves. And we know that. It's familiar. We've been doing it for years. So we wake up, we open our eyes. And then we hear... It's Monday morning. I hate Mondays. I'm tired. Lots going on today. <coughs> I have to deal with my boss, my spouse, my kids. The financial situation. There's a lot going on. I don't like it. I have a problem with that. Or oh, it's getting cooler. Right? It's the fall. I like the fall. I like the leaves changing. Maybe I'll take a ride upstate, see the changes, the colors. Or maybe I miss the summer. Maybe I'm looking back and recognizing lost opportunities this summer. What I should have done, what I did not do. There's a lot there, and there's a lot that can be there. And this is where the attention goes. But it's not just the attention goes there. Actually, it does something. It creates and maintains something. Because to go directly to the brand new day and to not go to the thoughts about the brand new day is terrifying because it is threatening something. So we run back to what I think about today, what I think about you, what I think about the state of this country, the state of this world, what I think about our stupidity as human beings, or whatever it is that is occupying our thoughts. Anything but this will do. Right? Anything but this, anything but the brand new, fresh, empty of me experience. Anything. And all that is playing in the background, right? It's a combination of past memories, current thoughts and feelings. And it's, it appears to be supporting, right? It is there to support me and my life. What I know as me and my life. What I recognize. Not only supporting, actually, it's corroborating that sense of separate existence, which I call me. Of course, there is such a thing. Well... Look, right? That's what we tell ourselves and others, and then we go back to yesterday. 
because I'm not here now and I'm not there later. <clears throat> I'm not here now and I'm not there later. I was there yesterday. You know, we, we could talk and read and discuss duality and have some conceptual understanding of how mental formations are created. You know, but we are so deeply tethered to the belief that there is indeed someone or something fixed that we can't just switch it off because we think we understand what it's about. That's why it's a process that occurs over a long period of time. And that's why we uphold Zazenkais, Sashins, Angus. That's why we keep this going. Because <clears throat> it's a process that happens over a long period of time. There's a footnote in, in uh, another coin from another collection about Rinzai. And in that footnote it says, this is a practice for long distance runners, not sprinters. I think Amanda would agree. Yes, it's not a practice for sprinters. And what's the difference between a sprint and a long, long run? What's the difference in the expectation? How do we embark on a path that we know? We'll take a while. We know that we don't know how long it will take. And how do we embark on a short distance kind of path or practice? Or, or maybe a course, right? Or a class. We meet for six weeks. After that, you get certificate. You're officially awakened. You can go teach others. And I'm not just saying it, actually. Uh, there are such courses. Which will give you a certificate. And it, it works very well with the way we think. That's why I would imagine more people go for that than coming here or look for a practice center. So, to practice correctly, which is what we are trying to do, right? We're working on. <coughs> Cultivating that understanding that we have to practice carefully and deliberately. Careful and deliberate examination. Which means to take our time, to slow down, to not rush to speak and act, to examine. Because the tendency is to, let's get it over with. Let's do it. Let's get to the bottom line. What are we looking at here? We have no time. I got to be somewhere at a certain time, somewhere else. Well, last week I, I, I taught a class for police officers uh, using Aikido principles or some Aikido techniques uh, in a way that... Uh, a practical way that, that police officers could use our work. So I showed just basic things and, and then I had them pair up and try that on each other. And one of the, the difficulties that they had is that they couldn't slow down. They had an agenda and they would speed up. Oh yeah, I got that. I see it, now I'm going to do it. And it's not that simple. Take your time, slow down, look at it, examine it. So they went fast. And when they went fast, their body, their arms, everything naturally reverted to what they know already or what they learned from their own experience in the streets or from the academy, the police academy. But it was, it was so clear that as soon as they speed up a little bit, the body naturally goes to what it knows best. 
what it relies on. And that's why it's so important to take our time to examine deliberately, to not rush, to say, I got, I know, I know this one. Let's move on to the next thing. And we often say, I got this one. I know how to sit. Been doing it for a while. But what is sitting? Does it mean I know how to sit? I know how to practice zazen. How can we even say that? Right? You know, we, we sit and we have no idea what's going to happen, how we're going to, what we're going to experience. But what do we know about this? What do we know? What don't we know? Now, the Buddha taught that the mental formation of me and my life is the root cause of the anguish and the dissatisfaction we experience. It's the focal point of the experiential inquiry of our practice. You know, Zen doesn't propagate the idea of, or an idea of no self. And it's also not asking us to, to swap what we believe in, in something else. You believe in having a self, now go ahead, believe in having no self. Right? And then we're good to go. That's all we have to do. But again, it is so deep, we're so deeply um, vested in the belief that there is a separate existence or separate self that is not merged already with everything around us, that all our actions, all our lives are based on that. Our society is based on that. So we can't just flip a switch. We have to personally experience the falsehood of our lives or the truth of our lives. <coughs> but to, to actually personally investigate if the storyline that I rely on when I speak about myself, right, the storyline I, I, story I rely on, is it as substantiated as it seems? What is it made of? What connects the dots? that I have in my mind. Of course, there is a sense of continuity from day to day, month to month, year to year. But maybe, maybe we are completely wrong about what it is that continues. Maybe that's what we have to look at. Yeah, there is continuity, but who is continuing? What is it? that I think is there to connect those dots, the experiences. Yeah, what continues and what are the assumptions? Or to examine the assumption that the imprint we are living is not actually there imprint we believe we leave behind us is not actually there to form something for later or from this point on. In other words, is there something to rely on? And Suzuki wrote about how we leave traces, he said, our activity is shadowed by some preconceived idea. The thinking not only leaves some trace or shadow, but also gives us many other notions about other activities and things. These traces and notions make our mind very complicated. When we do something with a quiet, simple, clear mind, we have no notion or shadow and our activity is strong and straightforward. Right action, 
strong and straightforward activity. But when we do something with a complicated mind, what's a complicated mind? Right? What's going on there? It's what we observe. It's what we come. It's what we get to see when we take the time to observe. What is complicated? What is complicating? So he said, but when we do something complicated mind, in relation to other things or people or society, our activity becomes very complex. So it's not just the thinking mind that's complex, it goes right into the activity. And then he says, the shadow is not actually the thinking itself. Of course, it is often necessary to think or prepare before we act. But right thinking does not leave any shadow. Thinking which leaves trace or traces comes out of your relative confused mind. That's the mind that creates self and other. That's the mind that maintains separate sense of existence. Relative mind is the mind which sets itself in relation to other things, thus limiting itself. It is this small mind which creates gaining ideas and leaves traces of itself. Leaves traces of itself. The creation is leaving traces, which feeds right back and create or helps us create more of the same. In other words, if we step back from that, it's not happening. So we have to fuel it by paying attention to it. When the attention shifts to the brand new day or the brand new whatever, then at that moment we're not feeding it. At that moment we're not creating shadows. Or at that moment we intercept the shadow creating mechanism that happens automatically. Now, I think we all understand the, the complications we create when we drag yesterday to today and today to tomorrow. Right? When we hold grudges, resentments, refuse to forgive something or someone, hold on to self-deprecating thoughts or self-aggrandizing thoughts. It really doesn't matter. We hold on. So what do we do on the cushion? What is the practice? We sit there, we observe, and we learn. Or we work on learning to not hold on to great experiences and not reject unpleasant experiences. Right? Not hold on to pleasant experiences because they are all always subject, everything is subjected to change and not reject unpleasant experiences because they too are subjected to change. That's what we do. That's what we need to do. So, I know how to sit, but what does that mean? Do I know how to do that? Do I know how to do it well? Can I do it better? Of course. Of course we can. Can I be excited and curious about doing it better, going deeper into that kind of work that, of course, is not, does not end when the bell rings because, right, I cultivated something. How do I apply it? How do I use it on the go? How do I use it when I'm conversing with somebody and the thoughts come up and comment? How do I not create shadows? Because all those, the bits and pieces of our thoughts all are strung together 
in our minds to form a continuous sense of self. That's what makes it. And as always, I don't want you to believe what I'm saying. You know, I may not know what I'm talking about. Let's just, let's agree on that. I may be completely out there, have no clue. Which means you have to see that for yourself. Zen is not selling anything. So don't buy. Although we want to buy. You tell me that this is not a stable ground? Fine. Show me a, a more stable ground. I'm willing to step away from this one. But first, you have to tell me that this is stable. But it's not saying that. Not only is not promising a more stable ground, it's telling you the ground you think is stable is not stable. How do we work with that? You know, how do we work with moment by moment letting go of what was and moving on to or into what is? And, and then quickly, immediately, letting go of any agenda. It's one of the things Aikido teaches, one of the things Aikido is still teaching me, and I am <coughs> happily learning every time I'm on the mat, whether I'm teaching or training. To learn in Aikido, we, so we have techniques, so we, we are there to perform a specific technique, and then sometimes, or there are times that it doesn't work, or purposefully we are moving from one technique to another in midstream which means on the go you got to let go of the agenda of doing one technique completely so then you can open up to doing something else or to go in, in completely different direction yeah but i want to go that way gone it's not available life is telling you it's not available then we lament. I want to go that way. I really, this is where I think I need to go. <clears throat> well, you don't know where you need to go. Because life is telling you, make a right. But left is more tempting. Why? Because I came into this with the idea that left will be more conducive or better or will benefit me better. Which actually may be true. Left may be benefiting me better. That's why I have to go right. Because left will trap me at that moment. Am I willing to go right? Am I willing to go to where I don't want to go? So in this koan, this koan brings up a very famous saying, actually, and, and it, it goes directly to what the Buddha realized many years ago. Very clearly. Right? He realized many years ago that we all, we do, we confuse the, the false for the real. Being upside down means confusing the false for the real, thinking that, yes, I know. No, I don't. I don't know. And then because of that confusion, we cause a lot of harm. Because of being upside down, we string experiences together to create a separate sense of existence that is not there in the experience. And this is what the introduction is referring to. Taking a thief for one's son. Taking the servant for the master. Being upside down. Holding on to the false, rejecting the real. 
says, can a broken wooden ladle be your ancestor's skull? Is this what the practice about, is about? A donkey saddle rim is not your father's jawbone. It's interesting words to say we are upside down. When breaking earth, separating reeds, how do you discern the master? Introduction to koan is essentially there to prepare us to experience the heart of the koan. And he's doing it by raising the main point in a slightly different way, using slightly different words. And sometimes by asking questions that point us in the right direction or away from the wrong direction we really want to go. And I'm saying it's because we have to savor the, the, the introduction, I mean, the, the verse too. The verse is also poet, in a poetic way, raising the, the point or the points of the koan. So we take it all in, right? So we read it, we look at the, at the introduction, and we sit with it, and it's beautiful. It's like brushstrokes on a canvas. The mind doesn't know what's going on. But yet, when you see the brushstrokes on a canvas, something in you is elated, something in you is responding to it. It's beautiful. You don't know why, but it's beautiful. And you're moved by it. And that's what needs to develop in us. That's what needs to awaken it in us. That, that ability to see brushstrokes that at first seem abstract, meaningless. And then we look at it further, slowly, deeply. We realize, oh, there's a lot there. There's a lot there. And there's a lot in what's recognizing that there's a lot there. That's, it, it opens something up. So it's pointing at what Linji is speaking about in this case. Speaking about the true person beyond any rank, beyond divisions, beyond complications. Person of true rank, always going in and coming out of the portals of your face. The way you express yourself. Mouth, ears, the nose, the eyes, everything. In and out, freely. So not, maybe not the words, but the air that is conveying the words. The air is there, right? The, the air comes out, so then the words can be conveyed. But instead of maybe listening to the words, look at the air that is conveying the words. Not only conveying, it's free of the words that we hear. It's there all the time. Going in, coming out, every breath, every sound, every sight, verifying the truth. But do we know that person, that true person of no rank? The true person of no words, no sounds, no sights. Remember a few weeks ago, I ended the Tasha by asking you to examine if it's possible that you've been living a life of another. Is it possible that we are living a life of our own creation? And this koan appears in another collection and in the commentary from that book it says the true person of no rank is the real form of truth as it appears throughout the universe. It is fluid and in a constant state of becoming. And then it says the true person of no rank is the real form of truth as it appears throughout the universe. It too is fluid and in a constant state of becoming. Rank and no rank are non-dual. Therefore, each and everything up to and including each one of us exists thus. 
The essence of all phenomena is thusness. The real nature of body and mind is thusness. Therefore, it cannot be attained by any personal effort. It cannot be attained by any personal effort. Which again, you know, when we hear something like that, it goes against what we think. The harder I try, the quicker I get there. Or the more effort I put. But the more effort is not the right effort. And it's not saying that we should not, that there's no effort. It's just saying it's not a personal effort. Because it's not benefiting the self. And it says, realized or not, it has always been manifesting as our very life itself. Realized or not, it's always manifest. It always has been manifest. So Linji said to everyone who was sitting there, there's a true person of no rank always going out and in through the portals of your face. Beginners who have not yet witnessed it, look, look, right? That's all he's saying, just look. And beginners is not what we think it is. If we have not witnessed it, all we have to do is look before we speak. Just look, and then speak from there. So a monk came, came forward and said, and asked, what is the true person of no rank? It's a common question, right? What is it that you're talking about? Where is it? So Linji did not answer, got off his seat, came over to the monk, grabbed him, probably very tightly, and said, speak, speak. So the monk just looked at him, hesitating. Linji pushed him away and said, the true person of no rank, what a, piece, what a piece of dry crap he is. Now, of course, we read that, we think, well, he's belittling the monk. Right? That's how we see it. But is he? <coughs> Or is he saying the same thing again? There is a true person of no rank. And then, the true person of no rank, what a piece of dry crap it is. He is, she is. You remember Yunmen. What is Buddha? Right? He was asked, what is Buddha? Kenshikatsu said. Shitstick. That's Buddha, shit stick. That's what he's saying. Actually, the, original, the translation here is of Kenshikatsu, which means a shit stick. Which, probably some of you know, back then they had no toilet paper. So that's what they used. And then threw it away. And it would dry up. completely worthless to us, to our minds, completely meaningless to us, to me as me and my story, to me as my life. So it's saying, don't go to what you think is benefiting you. Go away from what you think is benefiting you. Go to what you think is completely meaningless. Shit stick. Not only meaningless, what you reject. Right? He's not saying something benign that we you know, something that is neutral. But if we're there, if you're there and you see the teacher gets up and, and then speaks like that to somebody, we think, how dare you speak like that to one of the students? You are degrading, belittling a per human being. 
And again, we have to be careful with the way we, with the way our minds interpret what we see, what we hear. I don't want to be belittled. I don't want to be meaningless. I don't want to be worthless. So if we use the practice to become worthy, then again, we have to go to the self-help section. Barnes and Noble. We'll find what we're looking for there. And we will feel better, at least at first. So th this is, it's a different kind of examination. And what I'm trying to say is that we have to, we are a week into angle. A week into angle. And what we have to do is remember that it's not what we think it is. And this is not self-improvement self-help, self-tweaking. It's going away from this kind of thinking. So, there's still hope, right? Because we're just a week into it. I'm not sure where you're at with what you committed to, personally. But I'd like to see you more often here at the dojo, sitting. I'd like to see you as you committed to being in the events we have. And I'd like us all to go deep together because we are doing it together because essentially we are working with the same exact disease and the same exact medicine. So I'll end with that. I think that's enough for us for today, but yeah, let's, let's reignite what we felt last Sunday, because it's very quickly, it starts to diminish, very quickly, by everyday life, by attending to our everyday activities and responsibilities, and by our ongoing thinking process. It dulls the sword, which we have to sharpen on a regular basis, and that's what we do. So let's do that together, let's keep doing that together, and let's be here for one another. Thank you.